you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, and today we cover verses 22 through 41. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we're going to see today, King Jesus rules his church by the scepter of his word. And we thank you so much, Lord, that we can study it as a church and that you've given us that conviction, Lord, just to read through the Bible and, and break it down and teach it and hope that it reaches hearts to build up your people and even to save souls. Father, we ask that you would give us this time as a gift, as an anointing from you. And Lord, that you would be our teacher. Bless your people, Lord. Uh, we pray, and if there are any here that don't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, rededication, Lord, and light of fire, if there's anyone here who doesn't have that passion. We thank you, Father, and we lift this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts 15, 22 through 41, we're going to see three things if you're taking notes. Number one, uh, the decree. It's an important part in the book of Acts as they have the church council. They're going to give a decree. Number two is the discipleship. And it's so cool to see what's going on there in the church at Antioch, how God's building up the Christians. And then number three, and it's kind of a tough thing, but it happens and we got to deal with it, is the division. So the decree verses 22 through 29, the discipleship in verses 30 through 34, and then the division in 36 through 41. So we read in verse 22, then it, it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, by name Judas, who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your soul, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. And so here we have the, the decree, the Jerusalem decree. Uh, it's a church council that took place right around AD 4950. And so you kind of get the time frame of when things are happening. And we see that when the men from Jerusalem, they were not ordained by the church, but they just came from Jerusalem, certain men, it says in chapter 15, verse 1, they went to Antioch and they said, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. And so what that did is it unsettled the souls of the people. 
And so they were arguing. There was a debate going on. And you guys remember the story from last week if you were here. They sent, you know, Paul and Barnabas and guys to Jerusalem to settle the matter. And, you know, guys are talking. The Pharisees are talking. But then Peter stands up and he gives his input, which, of course, we know carries a lot of weight. And then Paul and Barnabas do. And then finally, James steps up, who's probably the pastor there in Jerusalem. And together, really, the church, they come to that conclusion that you don't need to be circumcised to be saved. You don't need to do works to be saved, baptized, or anything like that. All you need to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. But he writes a letter, and he, and he tells them, but I do want to share this with you, because we see that it's all within the context. It's a real fascinating thing. It's all within the context of eating with each other. The Jews eating with the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, when God opened the door to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, it was about food. God brought down food for Peter to eat. And Peter said, no, I don't eat that stuff. It's not kosher. And then, you know, the Lord said, no, it's okay now. You can eat sausages. You can eat bacon, man. You can have donuts or whatever it might be, you know. It might not be good for you, but it's okay. It won't keep you out of heaven. So it's a context of eating And so we're going to see that they write this letter, don't worry about being circumcised to be saved, but but I do want you to have a consideration, not an issue of salvation, consideration. You know, don't eat, you know, blood, you know, don't drink blood, don't eat meat that's strangled. That's where they would have, you know, a lot of the blood in the meat, you know, and, and, and one thing he also deals with is sexual immorality, because in those days, believe it or not, they would go eat, they would sit down to eat. And they would rise up to play. They had it connected, eating and then going and having sex. That was the way that the pagans did it. And so we'll talk more about that as we get there. But the first thing is just the whole aspect of this decree, right? They, they used a lot of wisdom in handling the whole issue. And so really in this decree in Acts 15, three things kind of stood out to me. Number one, the Lord. They let the Lord be the Lord. Number two, the leaders. They were smart in using leadership with integrity. And then number three is the letter. This is how they did the decree. They followed the Lord. How? How do you follow the Lord? By doing it biblically, right? By doing it spiritually, right? That's how you follow the Lord. You know, they follow the Lord by doing it biblically, by sending the decree with leading men of integrity and by putting it in writing so it was done formally. And just real quick, before we, you know, race on, they did it with such wisdom. And, and we need that in the church. And you want to know something else? We need that in the family. We need that in society. We need that in community. We need the wisdom of the Lord. You know, when Solomon was king, you guys remember, God appeared to him. And God said, Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you anything that you want. You know, and a lot of us here, how many of you here would say, Lord, how about a billion dollars? If God said, I'll give you anything you want, come on, be honest. Because you know what you would would tell the Lord? Lord, if you give me a billion, I'll give 80% to the church, and it's going to be so cool. I'll be able to get some new vans. I mean, you name it, right? Uh, um, but, but Solomon knew better, and he just said, Lord, all I ask for is wisdom. Wisdom, because who can lead your people? Who can judge your people? 
And that, and that is so needed in the church. It's needed in the family. You know, you're a husband, you're, you're a wife, you're a leader, whoever it might be. You know, it has to be the Lord leading us. It's interesting in the Hebrew language there, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5 through 12, the word translated wisdom, it means an understanding heart, a hearing heart. See, that's the wisdom that we need in order to be led by the Lord is to be able to hear his voice, whether it's in the word or the still small voice by the Holy Spirit. Because I look at what happened here and the whole church, man, could have been flattened like a pancake if they didn't do it with wisdom. But man, praise God, they, they did this with wisdom. You know, Jesus said, remember in Matthew ten sixteen, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Think about that. That's who you are. You're sheep in the midst of wolves. So the Lord said, therefore, be wise as serpents. And if you are, then you'll be harmless as doves. You see, we need wisdom. Pray about it. Listen to the Lord. What's God guiding you in? What does the Bible say about it? That's what they did. They followed the Lord, then they sent these leaders and they wrote a letter. Notice in verse 28, it mentions the Holy Spirit. You know, it says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. You know, as they're putting this whole thing together, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Well, if you remember, the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus, our Lord, you know, and so... You know, when you think of the Holy Spirit, he's being used to guide the church, to build the church, even to complete the scriptures. In my prayer, something so important, I pray you guys would always remember, how does the Lord lead the church? By his word. John Stott said, King Jesus rules his church by the scepter of his word. So they're being led by the Lord. They're being led by the Holy Spirit. They're being led by the Holy Scriptures because they are holy people. They're a holy church. And that's how they're being led. To me, it's just so cool when you see this happen. You know, they're dealing with this grace by faith. That's how we're saved. The Holy Spirit gives us this decree. And you know, as these guys went in, they, they went in, Chapter 15, verse 1, saying that you're, you're not saved. They went up to, to, to Jerry or Michaela or Trinidad or Manny or whoever it is that you're not saved. You know, because remember, um, the, the Jews practiced circumcision. The Gentiles in those days didn't. Now, I need to tell you, it's okay to circumcise your children just in case you're thinking, oh, I don't need to do it. It's probably good for them from a health perspective, Right? But not from a, a spiritual perspective. It makes no difference. So imagine someone coming in here saying, we came from whatever, you know, Jerusalem. And, and according to our theology, you're not saved. And so what it did is it unsettled their souls. And one of the strategies of Satan is to plant doubt into the mind of saved souls. You know, the, the person is saved. Let's say you say you're here, you've accepted Christ, you're sealed, you're settled. You know you're free, you're forgiven, God's come into your life. You know you're a Christian, right? Because you placed your faith in Christ. Not that we're great, you know, not that we've got it all together. We still, you know, mess up. We're still a work in progress. But I know in whom I have believed. 
I know I'm a Christian. I have no doubt whatsoever. But then someone comes in, some of the big guns, someone from whatever, the big church or whatever, and they say, no, you're not saved. And they say they start planning doubt. That's what the devil does. He comes in, he says, you need to be circumcised. You need to be baptized by us or or you need some churches out there, they'll tell you you're not saved if you don't speak in tongues. I mean, weird stuff like that, right? And so, um, you know, when, when people teach such heresy, souls are then unsettled. Uh, look at verse 24. If you'll notice, it says here in Acts chapter 15, verse 24, since we have heard that, that, that some who were sent out from us have troubled you, with words unsettling your souls. I mean, that's what, what these guys were doing, right? You know, one of the, the things that I think is important for us to do is put on the armor of God. You guys remember the armor of God described in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, the battle that we're in. And one of the, one of the pieces of armor, did you guys know, is the helmet of salvation? The helmet of salvation. And you're like, well, what's the helmet of salvation? You know what that is? That's the assurance of your salvation. You know, because when you put that helmet on, it protects you from the fiery darts who tries to throw those lies in your mind that say you're not, you're not really saved. And then you know the, the word well enough. You know the Lord well enough to where you have that assurance. You know Jesus. You've made peace with God, so you have the peace of God. But what happens is this early church is being formed, and again, we've been talking about this, how you know they didn't have everything that we have. They didn't have the whole Bible. They're still learning as they're growing as a church. Man, someone going in, and they just rock their world. Man, I don't know if I'm really saved or not. And so they dealt with it, and they let the Lord lead them. Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, they followed the Lord and they let the Lord settle the issue of salvation. And then as they write this letter, the Lord led them with that issue of consideration. You know that they're not to eat the blood or you know, make their you know, Jewish brothers stumble in those areas of sexual immorality. You know, later the Bible talks a lot about sexual immorality. And just in case you're thinking, well, I don't need to really worry about that one. You do, you do. You know, we need to be pure. You know, you need to wait until you get married before you have sexual relations. And once you're married, it's good. It's a blessing. But you're going to mess up your life if you don't wait. And so, you know, we'll talk about this as we continue to go through the scriptures. But right here in the decision, salvation by grace alone through faith alone but then we have that was upheld, but the law of love and leadership was then communicated and God requested and asked the Gentiles not to deliberately offend the Jews. No greater burden, he says, than these things. And so in the decree, we see number one, the Lord, number two, the leaders. These are our chosen men that they're going to send, leading men, Jerusalem men, along with Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas were men who had risked their lives for the Lord. It would be kind of like, and I know it's a little different, but you know, you got two soldiers here. One soldier, he, he's never fought. 
He's never been out there. He's never gone on a mission. He's never done any wrestling with the devil whatsoever. And then you got someone over here like David. Homeboy killed a lion. I mean, he went up against bears. He, you know, he's done these things. He risked his life. He's, he's anointed. He's called clearly by God. He, they're, they're trying to say, listen, as we send you this letter, you know, it, it's the Lord. And these are leading men. These are anointed men. Listen to them. That's what he's trying to say. As they're giving the decree, they're, they're using a lot of wisdom. Not some, high, not some guy who's out there, you know, getting high, smoking pot, you know, shooting down or whatever it might be. No, he's a man of integrity. They're leading men all these years, proven men. You see, and, and Judas and Silas, the same guys. I mean, Barnabas, you guys know Barnabas. And so what they're doing is they're using wisdom. You know, and, and unlike the other men who they say in the letter, you know, they weren't connected with us. We didn't send them. They weren't authorized by us. But these guys are. You know, it, it does make a difference who's talking, who's teaching. You know, if I, if I give you guys a quote from Chuck Smith, not that Chuck Smith is God, but it carries a little weight, a little bit more weight than if I gave you a quote by Chuck Coiner. And you're like, well, who's Chuck Coiner? That's my point. You don't know him. I, I, I went to high school with him, you know? <laughs> or if I quoted you from Billy Graham, you're like, you know, he died with integrity. He finished the race. Again, just a man, but it carries a little more weight than from, you know, Billy Muller, the other guy that was my friend growing up. You guys don't know him, right? So that's what they're doing. They're just using wisdom. Number one, most importantly, we're following the Lord. Number two, these are real leading men. These are men who are called by God. And then number three, they put it in writing. It's the letter. They write a letter. You know, they put it in writing. They make it formal, final, even legal, so to speak. And that's important. You know, when you're doing a decree... You know, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm starting to get more interested in writing. I, I, you know, don't know how much time I'm going to have left, and so maybe I can write, you know, some doctrinal things for my kids to have, you know, or, or whatever the case may be. You know, God, when he gave us his word, he put it in writing, you know, because it's final, formal, legal. It's there. It's a love letter for us to read. And that's the wisdom they had in that Jerusalem council in giving the decree. And so you see that right there, which is interesting because, you know, we have this love letter, the Bible, and it actually kind of leads to our next point. After the decree is the discipleship. Because look what we read in verse 30. It says, And so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Yay, we're saved. Yay, we don't have to get circumcised, man. You know, and so Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. You know what I see this as? I see it as a beautiful time of discipleship. 
You know, they go, they, they ratify the letter. It's true. We're saved by, by grace. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. We're saved by the cross. I'm saved. You know, I'm forgiven. I'm free. You know, and then they're there, and you've got prophets, and you've got teachers, and you've got preachers, and they're there in Antioch. Man, I, I don't know if how it's going to work in heaven, but I, I hope there's a video of this or something, you know, where we could just kind of see what it was like, how awesome it must have been there in Antioch as all this is taking place, right? They rejoiced over its encouragement, and, you know, we don't have to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. It doesn't mean that we don't still, you know, obey the Ten Commandments. I mean, they're still good for us. Maybe not... You know, the Sabbath on Saturday, maybe it's a different day for you or it's just kind of a different thing for you because that's not clearly repeated in the New Testament. But don't, you know, say that it's all washed away, but it doesn't save us. So they're happy, they're, they're, they're blessed that the, the gift of salvation is a gift. It's free to anyone who would want that gift. But as they're there rejoicing over that, God continued his amazing work there in Antioch. It mentions the fact that Judas and Silas were prophets. And so well, a prophet is, uh, is, is, a, is an important office in the church or function in the church or gift in the church. You know, a prophet is someone who foretells God's word. Sometimes they foretell God's word, but they speak, you know, the, on, 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 in one sense, you know, on, on behalf of God. Now, you know, we need to be real careful because nowadays I don't believe there's any more offices of a prophet, but I think there is a function of a prophet. And as the Holy Spirit begins to move in churches, God will gift us with people who have insight, people who have discernment, people who can tell you, because I've had it happen to me, secrets about my life and maybe even words of wisdom or words of knowledge. You know, it's kind of like, you know, not, not the Bible, not adding to the Bible. No, the Bible's complete. We have the 66 books. That's done. But you know what? There is a personal God who knows all of our callings and details and struggles. And, and sometimes they'll come to you and they'll give you that word. Maybe you have the gift of prophecy. Maybe the Lord kind of lays things on your heart and you need to start sharing with people. I don't know, but I do know this, that as you're listening to the Lord, then he begins to speak through his people different things that are life-changing. Judas and Silas, they were prophets, but not just you know in a mystical sense, primarily in a biblical sense. And by that I mean that they're teaching the word. You know, they've studied it. They've prayed over it. They've asked God, what does it mean and how does it apply to our lives? And they've learned to connect the dots. And they're, and they're giving the word to the people. Again, not necessarily the office of a prophet, but the function of a prophet. That's who they are in one sense. And then, you know, they're there. It says they're exhorting the brethren you know, that, that means to urge them strongly to do something. You know, and, and you know, the, the passion that we have, huh? Lord, I, I pray that they would rise up, that they would, they would be lit up 
with a fire inside of them. I pray that they would, and you urge them, they're exhorting them. They're also strengthening the brethren. You know, so not only, you know, rise up, you know, and walk, you know, rise up and speak, but, but Lord, give them the strength to do that. Now, now, now it's not just, well, you, this is what you got to do. Now this is what, you know, you have the strength to do it. You know, one thing I was thinking, I don't know how you guys, if you ever thought about this, because you probably think I'm weird, which I am a little bit, okay? But I believe this, okay? That when we became Christians, we, um, we were dead, but now we live. Doesn't necessarily mean you walk like you should, or talk like you should, or hear like you should. You know what I'm saying? You, you were dead, now you're alive. Praise God for that. But let me ask you a question. Are you walking? Because then you'll be able to say one day, as you're living a victorious Christian life, I once was lame, but now I walk. You know, and then as you begin to, to listen to the Lord, I mean, really listen to the Lord. Now, I, I once was deaf, but now I hear. I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. When I read the Bible, I hear God's voice. I once was deaf, but now I hear. And then, you know, you begin to speak. Let me ask you a question. Do you speak? Do you ever speak God's word to anybody? And then the Lord just gets a hold of your life and he exhorts you to do these things and he strengthens you to do these things. Next thing you know, you're able to say, I once was, was mute, but now I speak. That's what happens when a person becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. They were discipled there. There was the preaching. There was the teaching. Preaching is probably message geared more towards the non-believer. The teacher is a message geared towards the Christians who are believers, but there's always mixed together because even in a place like this, there might be some who don't know the Lord, and so they need to get saved, but the rest of the church needs to be taught simultaneously, but it's also good for the Christians to hear the gospel over and over again. For many reasons, because again, it gives us assurance. Number two, we have to make sure that we go out and we deliver it to others. And so to me, when I, when I look at the, the decree, it's amazing how they did it. And then when I look at the discipleship, it's just so cool how it all happens. You know, how did they do it? Uh, I don't know, you guys aren't going to like this, but did you notice what it says right there? They, they, they were able to exhort and strengthen with many words. Did you guys catch that? You're like, ah, what do you mean many words? Well, some translations, they capture the real Greek. What it means is with, uh, they spoke at length. What that means is the sermons were long. Okay? And you're like, no. <laughs> yeah, they were long sermons. You know, nowadays people can go to the show, two hours, sit down. No problem, Ant-Man, the good movie. Right? And then you're like, well, yeah, but church is different, you know. Uh, I'm not, it's not as entertaining. Well, it's not supposed to be. It's good for your soul. Teach me the word. Long sermons, long speeches, many words, urging the brethren, strengthening them. You know, Dr. Duffield is so cool. He said, I love going to Calvary chapels because they like long sermons. 
He said when they like short sermons, it's like a sermonette for a Christianette. And so, I don't know, not that I'm going to go long. I try to keep it on time, but you know what I'm saying? You know, whatever you do, you know, don't ever come to that place in your life where you want the sermon or the message to be a short one so that you can go and do what? No, pray that the messages or the teachings will be rich with substance and if necessary, long, so that that time would be edifying. That's where they were. And so as they're there and all this is going on, the Lord is working. It's interesting how in verse 28, it says right here that, that it, it seemed good, you know, for, uh, where is it? Verse, no, I can't see. My eyes are bad. Verse 28, here it is. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 24, there it is. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. And so earlier we read about how it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Now it seemed good to Silas. And you're like, what do you mean it seemed good? Is this kind of like a gut feeling? You know what? I have a hunch that God wants me to stay here. Now, sometimes you, you get a gut feeling about something. Sometimes you just have a hunch and then in time will tell if it, was, if it was the Lord or not. But in this case, Silas was awesome. It was the Lord working. It really was the Lord. And so listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So you got the decree, you've got the discipleship, but then you've got the division in verse 36. Let's see if I can read this. It says, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go, now go back and, and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So these are things that we deal with in the church. You know, the, the, the decrees, the, the, you know, the discipleship. And then, and then sometimes, yeah, it hurts, you know, the divisions. You know, you look at the Protestant church today and how many different denominations there are. And in, and in one sense, you're bummed. In, in one sense, you should be bummed. But then in another sense, you understand how, how God sometimes allows those things. I'm not saying he's all in it, but he allows it and he uses it. You know, because you go to the church down the street and they're maybe a little bit more emotional. You know, not, not teaching the word as, as, you know, like we do straight through the Bible. You know, but I'm, is that, is there's still a church and some people, they prefer that. You know, for us, we're just a little bit more, no, just give me the Bible. And, you know, just different things where God would lead us. There's only one church, though. Ultimately, there's only one. But sometimes you have even godly men who disagree you know, 
and, and so Paul, he wants to go back. He wants to visit all the, the churches that they had planted. I like what it says right there. He wanted to see how they were doing. You know, the, the Holy Spirit's been convicting me lately because I text message my mom and, and dad and I, and I talk to him on the phone. But he's saying, Manny, you got to go see how they're doing, right? There's a difference when you're, when you're there as opposed to, you know, other means of communication. So he wants to see how they're, how they're doing. He was, he was a pastor, yes, but he was more than a pastor. Paul was also an apostle. And so he really never stayed put too long in any particular place. And so now we see he wants to go and visit the churches that they planted. And, and it's interesting because the letter was originally written to the churches in in Syria and Cilicia as well as Antioch. So, you know, the letter was even intended for them to go and to share with others. And so he'd visit those churches. But again, you guys are going to know now that he's going to start his second missionary journey, it's not just those churches. He had a heart to reach more people for Christ. And let me just tell you guys, whether you're the one that's going or whether you're the one that's sending, we should all have that heart to reach the lost, just like Paul did. We all should. You know, I came across this really heavy quote from Robert McQuilkin. It said this, In a world in which nine out of every ten people are lost, three out of every four have never heard the way out, and one of every two cannot, because there are no missionaries there, the church sleeps on. Could it be that we think there must be some other way or perhaps we just really don't care? Paul cared. The other guys too, they decided we got to go. But as they're about to go, Barnabas was determined to take Mark with them. And Paul said, no way, Jose, in the original language. That's what he said. No, I'm just joking. There's no way, man. This was the guy that abandoned us. He split, he quit the first time. And, and you know, this is a, a tough one, you know, for me. Throughout church history, there's been a lot of debate as to who was right. Was Barnabas right in wanting to take Paul and insisting to take Paul? Was, I mean, um, um, Mark, was Paul right, you know, in saying that he can't go? And so what we find right here is that I'm kind of convinced that they were both kind of right, for some reason, that is able to happen in the Bible, man. You know, Barnabas was simply being the man that he was made to be. He was gracious. He was a son of encouragement. Remember that? He was named Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. They, they saw him as that. He's just being who he is. And then Paul was just being who God made him to be. He was a very disciplined man, very determined man. He wasn't concerned overly concerned with what people thought or felt, right? I mean, to him, it's just God's word, God's will, and don't mess around, you know? And so, you know, like Worsby said, the ministry was so important and the work too demanding to enlist someone who might prove to be unreliable. I mean, this is war. And so Paul said no. Barnabas said yes. Paul looked at people and asked, what can... They do for God's work, while Barnabas looked at people and asked, what can God's work do for them? And both questions are important, but sometimes it's difficult to keep the balance. I think for those of you who know the Bible, uh, you know at the end of the day they were both right, huh? Because God used Paul. 
As a matter of fact, we're going to see the book of Acts, it now follows Paul. The church commended Paul. Paul said, no, that guy's not usable, not right now. And so the Lord had his hand on, on Paul, but Barnabas took him one by one under his wing, and he restored his nephew to the Lord, so much so that we have the gospel of Mark now. Um, that's one of my favorite books in the Bible is the Gospel of Mark, man. Have you guys ever read the Gospel of Mark? You have, right? And just get to it, man. The Lord Jesus. It's amazing that he would use him. And then later when Paul would die. And so right now it's about A.D. 50 and Paul died right around A.D. 66, 67. About 15, 16 years later, he would write a letter to Timothy and he would say, and, you know, bring me the scriptures and bring Mark because he's useful to me in the ministry. Now we need Paul's, we need Barnabas's. It's hard sometimes when you got two guys going different directions, but now you got two teams. You got one that goes west to Cyprus, the other goes north and then west to Europe. And even though we hate divisions, it's hard sometimes. God, God will use it for his glory. These both, both these guys, even though they went their separate ways, I don't think they were talking smack about each other. I think they highly respected each other. And that's why God used them both. And so today we study these things. Most important thing is the aspect of salvation. And so as we have communion today, I pray that if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you know, like we talked about, man, it's just grace, it's just faith, it's just you believing in Jesus. And if you haven't made that step, I pray that today you would. And there are some of you here today that maybe you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. You've been a prodigal son, and you need to return. I pray that you would know that Jesus is just waiting for you to do that. And as you return to the Lord, you know, he will run to you and he will restore you.